Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower, if you let it. Somebody's there. Is it? Is that you, Michael? Oh, yeah. Hi, Graham. How are you today? I'm all right. I'm all right. Why is it a bing bong when your name is Michael Knox? Well, we could change it, but that's the um, current sound that we use, which is very um, on brand for this series. I believe they call it Sonic Trigger. That's what it is. Do they? It I was is. listening back to these um, episodes that we're about to share, and I wondered if you could just explain them, who we're talking to and why. Yes. No, it is a bit weird. Um, the, we have first up, we have David Smith, creative that has been all around the houses and has actually founded his own agency, Blood United. And we get into why it's called that, don't we? We do. Then, do we? I don't know. If we no, do. we don't actually. We don't. We should have. All right. So we should have got into that. Um, and then after that, we then seamlessly segue into two really interesting creators, Regina Strumbergen and Julia Spencer, who have founded in their spare time a thing called mums in ads which is relatively self-explanatory i think who next week have a meetup do they they do and we talk all about that all right let's do that first up we've got david smith so you can just start recording like you normally do and we'll at some point man i've already got all this Mm. Have you been recording this, by the way? Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this yeah, is sometimes when the magic happens. We need, we need doesn't miss anything. It makes us, it creates the illusion of humanity. Hey, guys. Hey, mate. Hey, David. How are you? Yeah, good. And yourselves? Yeah, good. We are all right. Look at you in your massive office. Uh, I know. It's uh, no one, it's an empty space that not, none of us are using. Uh, um, it just sits here. We got it in February 2020, like literally timing. Before, the, uh, before the pandemic started. And like, yeah, I think we've used it maybe like 25% of the time since, you know. And, uh, you know, I mainly work with like a, you know, like we have a, we have a small crew of people, but we also like work with freelancers a lot. And like no one wants to come in the office. No, it, the, the game has changed forever. Like, I'll be like, hey, do you want to meet me at the office? No. <laughs> I don't it want to meet is. you at the office. I don't ever want to meet you. I don't even like, like turning my camera on when it's on Zoom. Well, thank you for joining us, David Smith, on The Imposterous today. We thought we would just get into this and start talking about all the things that we've been talking about over a couple of seasons. Yes. With various creatives and creative types about subjects like fear, confidence, insecurity, the good stuff. And we wanted to ask you to kick things off about leadership style. And how that plays into you and how you manage your team and the creatives you work with. And just on the subjects of fear and doubt, how you feel that affects work and what you make and what you do. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, fear and, and, and doubt, uh, you know, I, 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 because when you guys approached me about it, I really had a long think about it. And, you know, and, and fear and doubt can, uh, can, can be both positive and negative with inside the, 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 the creative process. Uh, you know, I, 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 one of the things that I've thought about, you know, through my through my years of working as a as a creative and a creative director, etc. You know, I've got to meet lots and lots of different creators, work in lots of different offices around the world. There's always been an element of fear and doubt because the business is a subjective business. You know, like so, there's always that element of it. And, and the one moment that uh, you know, like I, I, I really thought about was. Uh, um, when I was working at one agency that the around two creative directors or two ECDs that, and they're very differing sort of styles. Uh, you know, we, we had a, I was in, I was at the time I was just still a copywriter and I was in a big team of creators of probably about 20 to 30 creators. And there was a, an ECD who worked, who was our sort of boss who sort of set the culture for the entire agency at the time. You know, the ECDs were very, very important people within the network or in, inside the agency. And, um, you know, and the first boss that we had really had this sort of style of really playing on everyone's fears and doubts. Uh, you know, like we would do reviews and he would pretend to throw up in a rubbish bin in the corner uh, or, you know, like just do these weird things where he would really like sort of shame people. And at first it seemed like a bit of a joke, but then it became like more and more weird and like sort of serious, you know, and it was it just really, un, you know, really cut people. Uh, and then the, after he left, there were these two other bosses who came in and they helped to allay people's fears and doubts. Uh, and, you know, it was two polar opposites in terms of, of, of management styles around fear and doubt. Uh, you know, one really playing on people's and the other one trying to alleviate it. And, you know, if you took a step back from that and you just looked at it through the sort of a capitalist lens of like which work conditions create the best, uh, which created the best creative work, the output of the agency over those two periods was exactly the same. You know, like it was the work was equally as good. You know, like the first guy could get great work out of people. And the second lot of dudes who came in afterwards could get great work out of people as well. But really what, what, what was the, the, the most telling difference, and I turned out to be one of the casualties of that, was that uh, uh, the first one fell down because it was this absolutely unsustainable model. You know, he sort of, uh, he just burned through the human capital like a World War I battle. You know, there were just people falling left, right and center. You know, no one could, no one could stick it out. You know, like people would do well for a little while under those like, hardcore conditions, but they're quickly leaving. Whereas the second set of, uh, you know, second set of bosses who once they came into, uh, you know, came into the agency, I actually went back to the agency once they came into power and I came into, you know, became the bosses, uh, you know, really created a sense of longevity and, and, and uh, loyalty in, in us, uh, you know, like, so when I look at it just from a purely sort of like uh, philosophical lens, you know, Creativity for me is always, it's the act of creation. It's the making of something from, you know, where something didn't exist before. It's sort of like bringing light into darkness. And so when I, when I look at these sort of situations, you know, fear and doubt are quite literally the opposite of that. You know, they're almost like most destructive forces. They're almost uncreative. So you can use that fear and that doubt to sort of like that darkness to inspire people to create light. You know, you sort of pour darkness onto them so that they're like sitting there feverishly trying to create light to get themselves out of the situation. But that very quickly sort of tires people out. You know, when you're having to fight fear and fight that doubt 
You know, like you get you get burnt out. Whereas the other guys sort of fostered that creativity, that likeness through their own light. You know, like they they shone light onto the likeness and created a, a brighter light around you, which allowed you the opportunity to just sort of add to that. You know, and I, and I feel like that's where uh, you know that's good fear or you know, bad use of you know bad fear and bad doubt hinders creativity in that sort of sense. And then, you know, what you need to do is allay those sort of fears and doubts so that, uh, you know, those creatives can sort of generate light, so to speak. You mentioned something in there that I just wanted to ask about, which is burnout. And yes. that one of those types of cultures can actually feed into the notion of burnout quicker than the other. Yes, yes, totally. I mean, of course, people can burn out even under nice circumstances, even when your boss is the best person on the planet. If he's making you or she's making you come to the office on the weekend and all that sort of stuff. But like, you know, you, it's like going to the, you know, it's like going to the gym or going to, or doing exercise. You know, if you're in a good frame of mind, you can run faster. You can, you can, you can lift heavier weights, but if you're in a bad frame of mind, you're just not going to be able to do that, you know, and you are going to quickly stop sooner, you know, so you, because not only are you carrying your workload, but you're also carrying that mental load of, of like, am I going to get fired? Is the boss going to scream at me? Is the, you know, is the agency going to think I'm a failure? You know, so like it's a double burden, you know, like you're, you're sort of carrying two extra sets of weights, so to speak. Just on that. So, I mean, that, that's doubt projected onto you from external forces, right? That's people, as you say, ladling on the syrup of dark doubtness yeah. on you. But there's the other side of that, which is your individual personal doubt as well, right? I mean, if you, were, if you wanted to separate out, you've kind of got external doubt and internal doubt. And yes. a lot of the conversations that we've had is that the internal doubt, it's a little, a little bit more complex because that doubt is the thing that makes you go the extra mile, that makes mm. you not finish. You know, we all know that creatives, scripts, ideas, whatever, they're never finished, right? They're just as good as you can yeah. make them before yeah. they have to go out into the world. And that doubt can be fuel. What do you think about that, about, you know, internal doubt or maybe doubting individuals? How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When you guys approached me to do the, the podcast, you know, the whole idea of the imposter sort of syndrome, you know, I, I've uh, never really been, uh, you know, massively debilitated by doubt. And the doubt that I struggle with is less about myself and more about, I, I, I doubt others. Like I doubt not on an individual level, because I, I'm very trusting of individuals, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll meet people and I'll, and I'll take them at face value. It's more like I have a greater doubt about humanity as, a, as an externality to me, like a mistrust mm. of, uh, of humanity itself. You know, I often find myself veering between absolute cynicism about humanity uh, and, you know, really being pessimistic about human nature towards you know also extreme optimism about human nature and the human spirit you know like so i i, I sort of sit there in this sort of like a external battle of sort of doubt you know and, and i'm sort of in one case you know i'm very easily moved by everyday heroism and the and the abilities the you know the everyday sort of human spirit that you see you know and you guys uh, spoke to me about this this thing that really popped into my mind when i was thinking about what i was going to talk about in this that was the imagery from the ukraine and the, the very beginning yeah. stages of the war there were these amazing images well not amazing uh, they're sad and but they are inspiring as well i remember of these young dads saying goodbye to their families you know who were going to be traveling west you know leaving kiev in the, in the defense of kiev and you know these were like it guys carpenters mechanics you know, they were, just, they were just everyday, ordinary Ukrainian dads. And these guys were saying goodbye to their families so they could stay behind to defend 
their country against one of the most capable, daunting armies on the planet. You know, these guys have just come fresh from fighting in Syria where they just completely crushed it. You know, and, and, I, and I would look at these, these young men who are doing this and feel very inspired by, you know, the human spirit and the courage that they were showing in the face of adversity. That really inspires me. But then on the flip side of that, I sit there in this moment and going, fuck, how's these Russian army just like invading this country next door to them? Like, what are these poor people done? You know, like, I'm always like sort of like flipping between these two sorts of extremities. And the reason this sort of like really gets to me is because I'm sitting there in the middle of this trying to do my work. And I often just ask myself the question, you know, what's the point of what we do? You know, and that's the, but that's, that's the doubt that just creeps into my mind. You know, I'll be sitting there working on like a brief on, I don't know, toothpaste, whatever, whatever the brief is. And I'll be like, is this really, what's the point of what I'm doing here? How do I justify this thing that's sitting in front of me when all of this craziness is going on around me? You know, like, uh, and I know obviously, you know, there's always going to be craziness in the world, but I'm, I'm always very uh, concerned about my own personal role and our roles with inside the, the largest picture, so to speak. And I start to question the relevancy of what I'm doing. And that can really sometimes cripple me a little bit, you know, particularly like when I was working in Europe, we would work in countries that were, you know, having big problems. Like, you know, we'd be working in Turkey and they were having massive problems of like undermining of democracy by the, by the president, uh, you know, women's rights and all this sort of stuff. And you're like working on a fashion brand selling stuff uh, in and amongst that. And you're kind of going, hold on, what's the, what's the, you know, this seems so disconnected, you know, and I remember being on a shoot in, in Argentina, big, big, like soft drink shoot like uh, oh, millions of dollars worth of production. And this, this man fell over next to the shoot. And uh, the, the, one of the people of the shoot came and picked him up and, you know, and they got him back on his feet and, and uh, you know, the shoot sort of stopped. And then I asked one of the Argentinian crew, what was wrong? And he was like, oh, he's hungry. He fell over because he hasn't eaten today. And that like really fucked me up. Like I was just sitting there, I'm going, I'm sitting here shooting a fucking Olympics commercial for millions and millions of dollars, staying in a first-class hotel, I felt like a five-star twat. You know, like, I'm, like, getting annoyed because, like, the shoot's having to stop and we're not getting our shot of some bullshit, you know? And that really, like, that, that, that sort of doubt gets me, you know, when I start to see myself with inside the, the scheme of things. Do you think then there's no, is there no in-between in this then? Is there, is there one feeling or another? Do we sort of, and we talk about work for a minute, it's either shit or it's great or what we're doing is either really important or it doesn't matter at all. Is the, yes. is, the, is the bit in between just kind of like such a doesn't matter, doesn't exist? Well, yeah, it's sort of hard. Creativity doesn't exist in the middle, you know, like uh, it, it's hard. It, it, great creativity doesn't really exist without those highs and lows, you know, like I, I think the middle, it's hard to find a middle ground for me, you know, because it's either, like you say, it's either you're in or you're out or, you know, you're either you're on top or you're down, you know, like it's, it's not, I don't, I struggle with that little bit of middle ground to, uh, um, you know, like, I mean, obviously we're existing in that middle ground, but the, the bits that I remember are always the highs and the lows, you know, maybe that's just way, the way our memories work. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, when it comes to the creative process, uh, you know, I, you got to be all in on something, you know, like I, I find I can't be like, you know, when I have that, when I have those external moments of like, shit, is this project really worth my time? Was it really worth you know, anyone's time, you know, that's when I, you know, I perform pretty poorly on stuff, but, uh, you know, like I need to buy into stuff on like a, in a, in a completeness, like, and for it to be really great. 
obviously I can just get by and I can do my job and write stuff uh, without, you know, much emotion. But when I'm, if I'm going to truly perform or if anyone's going to, a creator is truly going to perform, they need to be 100% in that thing, you know? So that's why I think there is that sort of, like you say, it's, it's either up or it's down. It's, uh, you know, it's either it's in or it's out, you know, it's sort of quite polarizing, I guess. I've got a couple of thoughts on that. I have to come in quickly before Michael says something again. <laughs> what, Please, one Graham, is that you go. What, now that you're captain of your own place, your own agency, yes. how have you had that, is that? Have you helped reconcile that those sort of demons yes. on that, that kind of? Yes, uh, I, I mean, yes, I have. When we set out to start a sports agency, one of the reasons we loved working in sport and it meant that net net the stuff you worked on wasn't so bad for the world. Right. You know, like, like you're, most of the time we're working with sports organizations trying to increase participation or sell tickets to watch sports. That's the mainstay of our business. And, you know, like, so from a moral standpoint, I, I get to justify that to myself in the sense that ultimately it's not that bad for the world. that can be made you know whether that's in sport fashion you know and the fact that you know sustainability and all those sorts of issues that happen in sports fashion but as you know over the last year we've uh, we've really been thinking about how we diversify the agency and that's really one of the areas we keep coming back to and it's the notion that we call sort of decent profit and it's just the idea that profit mm. and decency shouldn't be these sort of like uh polar opposites, you know, that, that they don't need to be sort of like uh, diametrically opposed, uh, that they can, you can actually find a meeting place between your, uh, between some sort of sense of decency and making money. And, and, and you know, obviously every, every bit of money you make has an externality to it. It doesn't matter whether you're, uh, you know, manufacturing croissants or whether you're making shoes or, or selling advertising, there's always going to be some trade-offs with inside that whole process. You know, when you're selling the croissants, you may source it from the best, the best sustainable sort of growers of, uh, of wheat, et cetera. Um, but you are making people fat, you know, like, so there are, you know, there always is going to be an externality to whatever you do in, in your business. And so we're really conscious of that. Uh, so for example, we don't work on sport gambling. You know, we've, we've, we've had uh, approaches over time and, and had, and had internal discussions of like, do we chase like a sports gambling client? Because that's where the big, big money in sports is. You it's know? where the and, big money is everywhere. I mean, it's, yes. it's a conversation I've had with my team. It's like, where do you draw the line 
I guess and, it's turned down to the individual. And that, what's good about that, if you bring the discussion back to doubt, that's the sort of doubt that I think is a positive force within yeah. the creative industry. It's casting doubt on what you're doing, trying to understand yourself as a, as a member of a society rather than just like, oh, I'm just doing my job. You know, like what are the implications of the job I'm doing? You know, because we all have knock-on effects in every single thing that we do, you know, like ultimately as an agency, you're only as ethical as your most unethical clients. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've always looked, you know, because I often look at big networks and I'll go like, oh, they'll, they'll be sprouting on about like doing a nice campaign around other diversity or the environment or whatever, charity or whatever. But then at the same time, they're off working for a coal company or they're working for a, a heinous political party or, a, mm. you know, they, they, they're working for a, a social media company that, that is, uh, you know, like is undermining democracy around the world, you know? Like, so you've really, really, uh, for me, like with, when we're assessing who we work with, that's the sort of measure we always try to put on it. You know, like, would we be, would we be comfortable if we own that company? Of course, I would love to have all the money that Uber has or all the money that Shell has, but uh, at the same time, though, as individuals, would we be comfortable doing that job? And if we aren't, then we don't want to, that's a company perhaps we don't want to work with. But, um, you know, more and more people are starting to go, oh, shit, maybe there is a more sustainable form of capitalism. I've been through exactly the same journey as you. And I think, you know, we're caught in a global economic process where bad stuff is cheaper and good stuff is more expensive. Yes. You know, across the board, whether or not it's eating or ethical, it's just, the capitalist, you know, the, the system is buggered. You know, doing doing good comes at a cost, which is just yeah. ridiculous. But I think the, the glimmer of hope is because of the movements in CSL and because of climate, all of a sudden over the last five years, visibly doing good stuff is all of a sudden now good business. And that's the only reason the companies are doing it. It's the only reason yeah. really that they're shifted. They haven't suddenly got a conscious. They've realized that that conscious can be monetized. So yeah. somehow it is slowly changing and it is good. But I wanted to talk to you a bit more about that, the role that we play and how we present the world. Because like it or not, you know, the films, mm. contents, the apps we make, change people's perceptions of things you know we do have an effect on how people see things how do you feel about that especially when you think about the power of social media and the fact that everybody now is a media owner and everybody can send a message i'm I'm really uh uh, you know conscious of my role inside the world you know and i think it's an area that a lot of advertisers and creatives don't like to speak about because we are so active in that role of, of making a bit of a, a crazy fuck up of the world, especially like, uh, you know, into the separation of people into cohorts and, and, uh, and echo chambers of, of, of similar belief. You know, I, I look at social media companies, you know, and this is obviously stuff that a lot of people are speaking about is that they've led to increased levels of polarization and mistrust within society because it's easier to market to people when they're in groups. So yes. therefore, uh, therefore, we need to make them separate into groups more and more, you know, and, 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 you know, we've seen the rise of identity politics around the world, you know, whether it's on the left wing and on the right wing, there's just lots of that sort of people sort of placing their, their personal labels before their own humanity uh, and, you know, and their own group think saying my group's right and your group's wrong and, and, you know, and that comes from across the spectrum, the political spectrum. I guess we've always got to ask ourselves, are we comfortable with our role in that? You know, are we comfortable contributing to a sense of chaos or discord or misunderstanding? You know, 
I, I, there's an author, Vivek Rashashami, who wrote this book called Woke Inc. And he's like a real right-wing sort of commentator. He used to own a pharmaceutical company. And so I, I disagree with him on some levels, but there were, uh, there were some of the commentary he wrote just around the fact that all the sort of woke advertising in the world, he, he really called it out in the sense that he was saying, this creates more division than problems that it actually solves. Because in advertising for us, you know, when we start to do work that, uh, that, that looks at social issues, we need to create often an enemy for us to fight. So we make that enemy look really bad. You know, so we turn them into a straw man sort of thing. So those are the things that I, you know, when I look at it as, as an advertiser, I'm like sitting there going, that's the stuff that we are playing ourselves into. And therefore we need to be conscious of our role with inside that and always be very considerate of when we attempt to solve something, are we creating more problems out of our solution or are we actually making a genuine solution? Um, as, a, as an advertiser or creative person in the era of outrage, yeah. As to, you know, there's there's no small issue, like like you've just mentioned, yes. these things, these things blow up and become quite quite big stories, or you know, yeah. we all have an opinion one way or the other. We can't just sit on the fence. And we were having yeah. a, a great conversation about allowing creatives or the people you work with the space and opportunity, I guess, to take up air, if you like, with their ideas, yeah. to take up space in the room. And it it does feel like a lot of the conversations we have regarding imposter syndrome or creatives not feeling like they're in the right place or able to contribute, just interested to wrap this up, how you allow the people that you work with in this time of, you know, having such strong opinions and having work that really means something as opposed yeah. to, I guess, when you were selling soft drinks in Argentina, you know, if everyone was smiling, everyone was needing refreshment, that was a job well done. Yeah. Now it's deeper than that, right? Now it means more than that. How do you allow people to kind of feel comfortable in this when i was working at widen uh, for a long time you know like it was it was a great place because we had a lot of latitude to allow people to fail and to be able to come to meetings feeling secure that they weren't going to be uh you know like completely you know annihilated for coming up with a crazy idea that they were going to give them space to do that uh whereas since I've moved you over, I'm interested. Were you, do you think that's overt? Do you think you would say those words out loud as in? Oh, oh yeah. Would, would we say that? No, I don't think you would. I think this is more my reflection on it. No, I don't think anyone right. was saying to anyone like, hey, you just go crazy. Don't care if you fail or whatever. But it was more just like there just seemed to be less time and budget pressure that I've experienced, you know, in Australia. And I think one of the hardest things for people working in Australia is that, agencies and clients you know they don't have the money often to allow people the time to play you know like uh you know if you think about like a you, you'll get a brief and the, and the client will be like i've got 20 50 100 000, how much money they've got to for you to crack that brief um and out of that that sort of pot of money you've got to pay all the people who work on the projects and the agency's still going to make some cash on that but often that you know that that budget is so streamlined that there's no opportunity for people to get it wrong a few times. They have to get it right the first time. You know, like the, the brief requires that the creative comes in the room and presents the, the first idea they present is the right idea straight off the bat because there's not that many chances for, you know, for revision, you know, like a lot of creators who I meet through the freelance world in particular, you know, who work at lots of different agencies will often tell me about like, you know, the sort of timelines that they're working under 
are quite, you know, like uh, condensed. You know, they'll be like, oh, I had, uh, you know, half a day or I had a two days to come up with an entire campaign, you know. You know, whereas, you know, when I was working at Widen, we usually took around two weeks, you know, like to sort of like two, sometimes three weeks to uh, sort of come up with ideas, sometimes longer, you know, depending on the scale of the piece. But I always felt that we were given enough breathing room to actually really interrogate the problem uh, and, and come to, you know, a good solution. We were never loaded up with like three, four briefs at a time, you know, like uh, whereas, you know, and, and this is something I struggle with as well, with, because we're working in sport, there's not massive budgets. So we're also working under those sort of time pressures, which means that you don't really have the opportunity to just go, all right, cool, like, let's just throw it all out there, do 25 ideas, and, and, and then we'll see where we land up. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so, you know, you want to give the creators the freedom, but often you're just a little bit hamstrung by, by the opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, by, by, the, by the monetary situation. We really work with a group of creators that we trust and we trust their taste. Uh, and so when they come to us with a solution, even if I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is right or wrong, I will, you know, I often will just roll with their gut instincts, you know, because, but because I trust their taste, I, I, you know, you'll roll with it. Maybe later on that comes back to bite you in the ass, but, you know, generally it doesn't. Uh, but yeah, it's about, I guess, trust, you know, just trusting their taste, trusting the fact that uh, even when you think they're wrong, they may be right. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks very much for joining us today on The Imposterous. All right, it's great. Trust is a Thank very good, good spot chat. for us to uh, Yes, oh, trust is important. You know, like I think creativity is all about the creation of unity and, 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 and uh, you know, and positivity, you know, like that's what creativity should be, you know, not not the, the, the sowing of discord because that's ultimately not a creative, that's not creative, that's just. I'm excited about you two linking in in real person now. And how oh, on the train. Happen. Yeah. That could happen. Yes. <laughs> What's your opener going to be, Michael? <laughs> Weren't you on the imposter? <laughs> yes. Yeah, please. I, I recognise that voice. That voice. Say, yeah. say that again. Thanks a lot. Thank you, David. Right, that yes, was really guys, good to speak to you, mate. Thank you. Okay, that might seem like the end, but because we love you so much, it isn't. We've got two more great guests just coming up. Hold on. Hey, Graham. Hey, Michael. Um, what are you doing on Thursday, the 29th of September? Well, let me open my diary. Well, I can tell you what you're not doing. Right well, well it, that, that's fine too, but I can tell you what you're not doing. You're not going to be in, attending um, Mums in Ads, a meetup. I don't fit the criteria, I don't think. You do not, which is not at uh, the Corner Hotel on Thursday, the 29th of September. Okay. And we're joined today by um, the imposterous Regina Strumbergen. Did I get that right? Oh, yes, that's you great. Did. And Julia and the imposterous Julia Spencer to talk to us about mums in ads and this um, meetup. Is this about female creatives that have gone off, had kids, and come back, or is it both? Yeah, what's pretty it much. When I think both of us have found out, but when we came back from maternity leave and sort of looked around the creative department we didn't really find any other mums there. And then we started talking to people and not many people knew of any other mums who's had sort of had kids and then come back to creative departments. So mm. that's kind of where it started for us, I guess. 
and no one really understands it unless they're doing it right i mean as a parent it's so true there's that, that especially the early days that sense of community and understanding is you, you, there's no way you can get it unless you're living it and yeah how tired you are i think it's the, the thing about motherhood is is and parenthood i suppose but let's say motherhood because we're representing right now is that there are so many phases of it you know and even when you're out of the thick of it I think your brain does that kind of like self-protective thing where you forget, you know, how hard it is when you're really in the throes. So that's why, you know, parents are always having kids again because otherwise you just wouldn't. But I think you've got parents who have kids in BCE and they're having to like man up for, for the responsibilities at home. That And I have never even thought about it. I've got four kids, but my eldest is seven. Reg has got two girls. And my experience in parenting is different to hers, which is indifferent to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. But I think what we all kind of have in common is how um, alone we feel in advertising. I think creative was definitely, because we are both creatives, the first thing we thought was where are all the mums? But sort of since mums and ads has come about, it's not unique to creative and it's not unique to Adland, but it kind of feels like an agency thing. So I think that's where it's evolved from. Yeah. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. I mean, we on The Imposterous have looked occasionally at this kind of mini series called A Family Imposterous, where we've done a father-son and a father-daughter. And I asked someone recently, it'd be great to do a mother-daughter. And they said, there's no way you'll do that because the mums <laughs> didn't stay. The mums didn't stay in advertising. Mm-hmm. So so this thing yeah. that you're doing, keeping keeping that, you know, well, I'm not going to say keeping mums in advertising because I don't know if if, if that's the, the, the purpose. I'm sure it is about community, but it's, you know, it's a great thing. And we just wanted to get you on and have a chat about this and support the night that you're having and hopefully a lot of people turn up. And Well, in the, in the past it's been kind of dire numbers and I, and I think that was the point. And like we are mums in advertising and we don't even know who the others are out there, which kind of talks to the need for a group like ours, but also talks to the real problem. So I think what started off as, as wanting to be a social group with mums and ads is slowly turning into a, a group trying to cannibalise its own purpose because we don't want to have to have a group to feel like <laughs> we've got connection within the industry. Um so yeah, we are walking the line as mums and ads as as a, as, a sh- as a social club and as a, as an activist group. So yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting <laughs> an interesting one for us trying to you know point out the problems with the industry and remain hireable. <laughs> it's a fine line we're constantly <laughs> walking. <laughs> yeah, I think Graham and I might have just done that in a conversation we had just before this one. <laughs> it's yeah. so much a fine line as a diving board. I'd love to ask what what brought you back. And then the second question would be, now that you are back, how is it different for you? Back to advertising. Yeah. Why did you come back and how is it different? I personally really enjoy um, coming up with ideas in the creative side of advertising. And you just don't get that type of brain stimulation as Mm. a stay-at-home parent. Um, And I think I enjoy it a lot more now than I even did possibly before I had kids, uh, which is odd. I'm not entirely sure why that is. But um, what was the second part of your question? How is it? How is it so different? I mean, obviously, tangibly, it's different because your life is different. But I'm just wondering how the industry treats you different now that you're a mum. Oh, I have so much to add to this when you're done, Reggie. (laughs) No, go ahead. I'll, I'll just say, I think... Uh, time management gets better after you have kids. So instead of um, pissing around and playing table tennis or whatever during 
um, working hours, you kind of go in, get your work done, uh, try and get it done within uh, work hours, not always possible, but um, can attempt it so that you can still do the parenting side. That was one that really got me was the time thing was that the beautiful thing and the horrible thing about what we've chosen to do is that there's no clock on ideas, right? You can come up with it like that or you mm. take a week or you never come up with it. It's completely unpredictable. And when you have kids, you don't have that liberty with your time. You kind of like, you can't sit down like an accountant and go, right, I'm going to do three hours of this and I'll get that done. You can sit down for three hours and have fuck all. <laughs> yeah. Or you can't say, I'll just get up at 5.30 and yeah. because then right. your kid will wake up at 5.20 and you'll be like, oh, there goes my morning ideas session. Yes. Um, hard to plan things like that. Thing I was going to add like, Reggie and I are kind of at two different ends of, of the working mum experience at the moment. She's working uh, part uh, full-time um, in agency and I've only just returned uh, as a freelancer and I'm attempting to be a freelancer and still have four kids. One, My youngest is 10 months old. Um, so I'm trying to be a freelancer doing it on, on my terms and Reggie's doing five days a week. So we've both got different experiences currently which I think keeps our minds open to the, the the spectrum of experience going on out there but for me and I know for you Reggie being young creatives in in advertising I didn't see any mums doing it or if there were mums doing it they didn't talk about the motherhood side of it um it was almost like they had to not talk about that to continue to be able to get get the job done or get the get the promotion or whatever so while there were women around there were definitely not women doing motherhood doing work and talking about it or if they were uh if they were there at all so when I went on mat leave it's kind of stupid that I went on mat leave and didn't think it was a problem and then when I came back from mat leave going what the fuck has just happened like why can't I get work but that's kind of what ha what happened um, and I really struggled to get back into Adland. So I, I couldn't, essentially, I couldn't get back into Adland trying to do it part-time was the big barrier for me. So it took a pandemic for me to return to Adland because now people can see that workways can be kind of different and I'm trying to slot it in. Like you're a creative, you're thinking of the ideas when they're coming. Um, and I'm doing that. Like if, I, if I'm with my kids, I've still got one, one piece of my brain on the brief but that was always that way as a creative before kids and after kids, you, your brain's on the brief if something triggers it, you know? So um, it took, it took the pandemic for me to return to the industry, but I think it's the pandemic that is making access more achievable for mums and everyone else who, who wanted to do things differently, um, who didn't want to have to come in and, and do it that way. So, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm not sure if I would be back in Adland if the pandemic didn't happen, to be perfectly honest. That's one of the great things, right, about the pandemic is that it's made everything more flexible and it's kind of broken a lot of habits that didn't need to be there anymore. Like, mm. actually, maybe not everyone has to be in all the time, every day. Maybe we can just come in twice a week. And, you know, never thought about it, but for, for mums and, I don't know, for people with different circumstances, that's actually pretty revolutionary, actually, because it's much more accepted now, I imagine. Mm. I imagine. Sorry, Michael, you were going to say something. No, I was just, I was just going to say, I think it's a fantastic thing that you're both doing and, you know, and wish you all the very best for the, for the night that you're having and anything that we can do to, 
to help and be great to have you back on after because it sounds like a really good conversation that that needs to be had and had more often. So thanks for joining us on The Imposterous today. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and where do they have to be? Where do they have to go? Oh, yeah, where it tells yeah. Yeah, the details, the, the call just, to action. <laughs> uh, not just for creatives in advertising. Anyone who's in advertising is good. Um, and it's at 6 o'clock on the 29th of September at the Corner Hotel in Richmond on Swan Street. Up on the rooftop is generally where we're, we're perched. <laughs> Let's make that happen. Thanks, Thanks very guys. much. Thank, Thank you. you. It's lovely to meet you. Thanks a lot. Bye now. Bye. Bye. The Imposterous is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. The theme music that you're listening to now was created by Hilton Mode of the same company. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at the underscore imposterous.